You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. I'm one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, for Big Episode 65. And with me, as always, is Mr. Derek. Say hello, buddy. Hey, Greg. Welcome back, everybody who is tuning in. It's good to be back. And for everybody, you know, if we have a first-time listener on Episode 65 for some reason, that's great. Stick around, but go to Episode 1. But this is our weekly uh, this is our weekly Trek podcast. We talk Trek news, the shows, any updates on like new video games that are being announced, things like that. Not a whole lot of news in the past week. Uh, so I think this week is pretty much going to be a discovery focused episode on the most recent the most recent uh, all access episode, the Red Angel, uh, not the Red Angel. Um, yeah, no, yeah. it was the Red Angel. Yeah, it was just called the Red Angel. Yeah, and uh, we've been for the past few weeks we've been adding in a little fun with a random. Memory Alpha uh, article, but um, before we dive into that, Derek, what do you want to talk about first, the episode or our fun article that we just randomly drew? I think getting the the Memory Alpha random article uh, done first is probably good for people. Um, I do want to remind everybody, though, that if you happen to be in the Kansas City area this weekend, Greg and I will be doing a live episode of Red Shirts and Runabouts at Planet Comic Con on Saturday. We will be creating the ultimate Star Trek crew with the audience. So please join us. It'll include any canon characters um specifically you know the the major crew characters on the major bridge type functions so please join us for that that's gonna be a fun one especially because if you think about all the shows and movies and hell the cartoon and the comics there's so many characters out there that we could have some fun with so join us at planet comic-con it's a huge i think it's the largest midwest convention now outside of chicago c2e2 yeah, and it's it is. More, I mean, we fill Bartle Hall. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Bartle Hall is a convention center, obviously, but it's primarily a convention center that does like automobile shows. And they have hundreds of vehicles in that hall, and Planet Comic Con fills it up. So there's plenty of content. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, the rest of the shows in the Heroes Podcast Network are doing panels as well. So if any of those topics from. Screen Heroes, Gamer Heroes, or Echo Station interest you. They're, they're doing panels over the course of the weekend, too. So, And Greg and I will be out there at the convention anyway, um, probably in cosplay for at least some of it. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm working a lot of the Star Wars uh, events as well for the 501st and Rebel Legion, obviously Trek as well. But And again, the other thing, I'm just going to throw a quick prop to Planet Comic Con. Despite how big the convention is, they're a, a huge supporter of local artists and creators. Mm-hmm. They invite a lot of the local costumers, cosplay artists, podcasters like us, uh, cartoon artists and such. They invite a lot of them to their convention because I believe the creator, uh, you know, Chris Jackson, that's how he founded Planet Comic Con. This is the 20th anniversary. He founded it with local artists 20 years ago. So that's, you know, it's nice to get get the recognition. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you who are listening, uh, when... Greg was on leave and we had in uh, Ray, um, who was helping me do some some episodes here. She actually has a booth. Um, she's my co-host on Screen Heroes and uh, she is Siren Ray, who she's a professional cosplayer and she will be at booth C78 if you want to swing by and say hi to her and I'll probably be there most of the weekend too. So And she's helped with about 15 episodes of Red Shirts and Runabouts. So she's yeah. a uh, she's a multi-talented uh princess of the nerd of the nerd field when it comes to uh interest which is always a fun which is always kind of fun right it's so hard to stick to one thing but before we talk the red angel the random the random article we drew this week is actually somewhat appropriate it's uh memory alpha it's the positronic matrix Mm -hmm. not data not noonian soon it's literally the positronic matrix which is with everything going on with Arium, it's kind of appropriate, actually, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, obviously, we, we learned more about Arium last week. You know, she's an augmented human, um, cybernetically augmented, right? But, uh, but yeah, no mention of positronic technology in her augmentations 
I guess. Um, but this was a heavy topic in um, in the LOL episode of TNG, The Offspring, where Data creates his own daughter um, and has to create a positronic brain and, and things like that. And what supposedly makes Data and his family unique uh, is that positronic brain making that different, I guess, from other androids. Yeah, I mean, it's... They never go into a whole lot of detail. The article itself isn't even that extensive. It's still... Because even the whole beta canon doesn't go into a lot of what the Positronic Matrix is or does, other than, you know, how special it is. Mm -hmm. But the LOL episode, uh, The Offspring, which is an amazing episode, and it has some beautiful acting in it from Data, LOL, and Picard. And even the evil Admiral, who, you know, <laughs> he plays the evil Admiral pretty good right until the end, and then all of a sudden, you're like, the dude's got a heart also. And it's it's just another example of how the writing of Next Generation can intermix. Because I, I remember the scene when Picard's, like, chastising Data. It's like, you know, you created a new life form, and Data's like, do the other crew on the ship inform me when they're going to have a child? And Picard, you can see Picard's like, ah, uh, well, <laughs> no. And it's it's a good juxtaposition for how Data's trying to be more and more human. He does something humans do, you know, all the time. You know, if you and... If you and Ray decide to have kids in a couple of years, you're not going to bother telling people. Like, Greg, by the way, Ray and I are going to try to have a kid. I'm like, why are you telling me this? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a good point. It's perfect. And even though Picard chastises him, Data fires right back, and I love it. Yeah, it's it's a great episode. Um, and that really focuses on the technology quite a bit. Because other than that, we just learned that anyone played by Brent Spiner is probably another android, unless it's their creator. Uh, <laughs> you know? But, uh, but yeah, um, not a whole lot of information on it, just that it's a unique style of technology to create androids that made Data and, and his siblings and such different from other androids and other robots. And I would imagine that Arium does not have this technology simply for continuity's sake, that that would complicate things a bit. Um, but we don't really know. Yeah, I mean, even the, the canon that we do know don't, does not go into a lot of details about the Matrix other than it's special and something about the way it was applied to data and lore and uh, who's the doctor, um, Juliana from the Crystalline Entity episode and such. It doesn't go into a lot of detail of what makes it special, special excuse me, other than it's special and, you know, it can't be recreated. You know, Jordy LaForge as brilliant as he is, can't recreate it. He can somewhat fix it. And Dr. Crusher can somewhat help maintain it, but none of, neither of them can create a positronic-brained android, which mm -hmm. maybe is a good thing, because an, an, evil, an evil person with a, with a thousand datos would, would do a lot of damage. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The Memory Alpha article actually points out that a positronic brain could be adapted for use in conjunction with a humanoid's brain, which certainly would sound like cybernetic cyborg technology. So that is interesting. I don't know. Maybe that'll be a thread that we see at some point. Yeah, because they never really go into it on DS9 or Voyager and obviously not with Enterprise or Discovery. So who knows? I mean, it kind of ended with with Nemesis, with, you know, Data uploading his information into B4 and... Everybody's sighing, going, uh, here we go. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Shining so bright. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the article, it's a fun article to talk about all the stuff that, how important Data is as a character, but really the Positronic Matrix article doesn't have a whole lot to discuss, so. Well, I guess that's it then. So I guess maybe we should move on to the Red Angel. Again, I, reading even online, I'm glad I'm not the only one. This episode seems to have a lot of mixed reactions from people across the spectrum. Positive, both positive and negative. I, now, I haven't seen people like downright hate it. Mm -hmm. But I've seen a lot of people, like even I'm one, I'm like, eh, but before we jump into spoilers... Uh, oh, well, this is Red Shirts and Runabouts. Spoilers are bound. But, you know, <laughs> we jump right into the episode. And again, it's following season two of Discovery, where they basically pick up right after the most recent, uh, recent episode. Mm -hmm. And they've recovered Arium's body, and they're doing an autopsy, and they're doing the service. And this is the part of the episode, this is the first part that kind of threw me for a loop, because it broke a rule of story writing that drives me crazy, is 
everybody's giving speeches about Arium at the funeral. Mm-hmm. And I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to mirror Rathacon, right? With Spock's funeral, show how important and symbolic it is. Right. The problem is, with Spock's funeral, you had a three-year television show and two movies to get to know the character. And with Arium, they're all giving speeches about how important it is, but we never got to see that. Mm-hmm. They're, it's, it's breaking that rule of show, don't tell. And in this case, they have all got a story about her, but you and I have brought this up a year ago where... We want to see more about her. She seems interesting, but we never do. Yeah, it's definitely an issue with the way her character was handled. We were given everything we're supposed to care about in one episode and then the eulogy, and that's it. Um, Prior to that, she's had a handful of lines and next to zero character development. So it is difficult to need to care about her as a person. I'm disappointed because we're not going to learn more about her because she's so unique and different we don't, we've never really had that type of augmented person before um as part of a normal crew and so that was really exciting as as a prospect but i didn't really have an emotional connection to the character um you know i <laughs> if anything i might have been more sad when Giorgio was killed in the beginning of the first season simply because at least i knew the actor um in this case i didn't really know um chessman at all Uh, this was the first role i've ever seen her in and i didn't really know the character so you know we talked about that a lot last week but um you know to your point about the funeral it's it, it is hard because i still get emotional watching spocks but this one not so much yeah i mean and it's it's just a perfect example of you know you you kill off a character but you said it a couple episodes or three episodes ago when we were recording or maybe two episodes ago you remember data's day in next generation was such a powerful episode and we had already known data by that point we already got to know data get to see him interact we get to see him do all this stuff but that one episode was so powerful for people to just get to see his daily life and something like that for Arium would have been as would have been just as entertaining and i know somebody out there's like well there's not enough time in this series Okay, bullshit, because they did, like, two episodes of Harry Mudd in season <laughs> one, and nobody cares about Harry Mudd. I mean, okay, fans, don't get me wrong, we all care about Harry Mudd, but he's not integral to the overall story, cast, and crew, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. a member of the bridge crew is. And they, I'm, I just wish they could have found some way in this, in this season, in between her getting corrupted to her dying... To introduce an episode just about Arium's daily life, and you've brought that up before, of just showing her interaction with the cast and crew, and how how she engages with them when she's eating. And remember in DS Nine when Odo figures out how to create coffee, and he's able to consume <laughs> coffee, and he's like, "Yeah, I can give the illusion of enjoying the meal." Mm-hmm. I mean, it could have been something along those lines where you just get to know her, but really, when she dies, I I mean, it's not that I don't care. I just I didn't have a reaction. Like I wasn't, I wasn't like Tasha Yar dying or it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Kirk, whatever happens in generations where you're more angry than anything, but at least there's a reaction. I, uh, I was talking to Zach who, who had, who's been on the show uh, several times before. And he, I think he finally articulated what I was struggling with. And that was Arium's death her entire character almost is essentially used as a a plot device to get us from a to B to get us from probe to control. That's all her character is good for that. That's the only time we learn who she is. We learn anything about her and then she's immediately killed off. And that is unfortunate. And, you know, maybe that's not what the original intention was. You know, this is a unique situation where the same character has been, portrayed by two actors in back-to-back seasons it was hannah chessman this season and it was sarah mitchie last season um and sarah's actually her replacement which is kind of uh unique at the um there's that moment in the on the bridge where a a human looking woman walks on and everything's kind of awkward everyone's kind of giving her looks and she takes arium station well that's actually sarah who played arium in season one and that her new character will be um, will be taking over Arium's spot. And so that's a little weird. It's a little unique. Maybe there's some behind-the-scenes stuff that we're not privy to where they had to write off the character before they could really do anything with her. Um, 
I don't know. Uh, but as far as the funeral scene goes, there's some really great lines in there. I mean, it's written really well. There's some great stuff that's said and Doug Jones sings. That's his voice as Saru singing. Um, so it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. It just kind of lacks the emotional punch because we just found out who this woman is. Yeah, exactly. We don't get to really know her or see her interaction. I mean, they showed the clips, uh, excuse me, the clips and glimpses of her past life with her husband before the accident. But we don't get like major flashbacks of, you know, them getting married or them trying to have a kid or whatever. We don't really have a lot of emotional connection. And, you know, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I'm going to say something positive about Into Darkness. What? Even Pike's death in Into Darkness was handled better. Because there was already an emotional connection with the character. There was the emotional connection between him trying to be a father figure to Kirk and be like, look, dude, you're smart, you're talented, you got to stop just being you for five minutes when Pike's trying to help him. And the emotional connection with Spock mind-melding with him. I mean, there's emotional depth there that, you know, the rest of the movie and the, you know, Dreadnought class, you know, five times the shield power and four times the warp speed. And you're like, wait, what? Anyways, aside from all that nonsense, the death scene for Pike was handled actually better to me than Arium's death. And that's basically the only positive thing I'll say to Into Darkness. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But well, no, okay, I, okay, so... I, I agree with you, though. The funeral scene itself was beautiful. I mean, the speeches were great. The singing... I mean, uh, Doug Jones even said on Twitter that was his voice. And for, his, for like a split second, I thought it was Culber... Because there was a mm. clip where it zoomed in on Colburn, I thought his mouth was moving, and I was like, "Why is he singing?" But no, it was, it was Doug Jones. Because <laughs> Wilson Cruz has a voice. Um, he, like he it's does kinda, have a voice. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Like uh, a lot of our our lead actors on Discovery have just amazing voices. You know, Anthony Rapp does too, of course, and uh, Sneakle Martin Green showed that she can sing as well, and so. Uh, maybe we can get a weird musical episode of Star Trek where some alien or anomaly or something forces everybody to sing. Um, but, uh, I, you know, Doug Jones, again, just another impressive performance of being able to sing in all of that prosthetic work. I mean, there's no way his mouth can move like normal, you know, and he's still able to to perform that way. It's it's impressive. He's he's very, very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean he he did a great job and they nailed they nailed the emotion they were going for. It was just hard for me as a viewer to get as engaged because we didn't know Arium that much. It's not a slam on her character, it's not a slam on the show. It's just you know, it's the equivalent of telling me, you know, I can't even come up with a good comparison. So let's move forward to talk about the rest <laughs> of the episode cuz they don't waste again. Another uh, another credit I'll give DS or almost at DS9 is Discovery Season 2 is uh, each episode does its best to not waste the viewer's time. They're basically jumping right into things, essentially right from the start. There's no there's no 10 minutes of Jon Snow talking to Daenerys about furniture or something that happens in Game <laughs> of Thrones. They are literally just, here's the story, here are the characters, go do something. Yeah, I know you're absolutely right. So... Section 31 shows up. We've got Georgiou and Leland back. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little sick of Leland, to be honest. But, uh, but yeah, so, of course, we now need to catch the Red Angel. Um, that's, you know, Project Daedalus. We find out that that's actually the Section 31 project. And so this, this episode really shows that everything is just this web of complicated connections that section 31 has been involved this entire time. And, uh, the, the red angel is our own production, right? It was our project. Project Daedalus was our, ours and we designed the suit and all the whole nine. Um, it gets a little weird for me, you know, when we find out that the biosignature matches Burnham and now they have to catch future Burnham with past Burnham using a trap. Uh, I don't know where you want to get started on that, but time travel well, makes things <laughs> a little odd. Yeah, time travel makes things odd. And I've actually read a few reviews where people are comparing this episode to like Back to the Future. And I just want to say shame on you. <laughs> if you actually, I mean, if you actually, if you actually think that you need to literally just stop writing articles, if you're comparing this to back to the future, it's not because it's not a fine episode. It's just, come on, really? 
but no, I'm with you. It's there's, and even even the 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 genetic matching or the the bioneural matching, I think, is the word they used, right? The bioneural scans yes. showed it was like what a hundred percent match or something. Basically, yeah. Which Star Trek has actually already talked about the fact in previous episodes that even twins don't have matching things. So you're automatically assuming, like, well, the Rain Angel's Michael Burnham. And, again, we'll talk about the, the, the reveal later on, but it's a little... And, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I have to go back 13 seconds. I agree with you on the whole Leland thing. Leland is just... He is now... They have literally turned that character into the role of, you know, your better half, Ray, posted on Twitter today, what's something that annoys you about rom-coms or comedies and sitcoms? And... One of the things that annoys me is the husband is always a stupid idiot that literally should not have survived to, like, the age of 25. You know what I mean? <laughs> and in this episode, it just confirms that Leland is literally, they're like, how can we make somebody as arrogant, dumb, and as much of an asshole as we can, cram it all together into one person, and just put them on screen? It's like, there's no way this guy survives the Academy or Section 31 training without getting stabbed. He's just... He's incompetent. He's jerk. He's like a jerk. He insults people. He's well. And then in this episode, we learn that this is actually him better than he used to be. Yeah, exactly. Because the big twist that, of course, the audience already knew because they already told us is that Leland was responsible for the death of Burnham's parents, and you know she doesn't take it super well. She knocks him out, which is pretty great. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame her. Um, but it so this this episode is really interesting because it makes more sense in retrospect than it did as you were watching it so you know she keeps saying that he's not telling her something about this mission and she deserves to know yada 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 and then he tells her the whole story about how he's responsible for her parents death and you're sitting there like well i appreciate you finally told her good on you but i don't know what this has to do with anything that's going on here and then of course you have the end of the episode and you're like oh so he probably knows the whole thing. He know, he knew who was in the suit the entire time. Um, and that's a little gimmicky, but, um, but I don't on, know why he didn't just say that. Yeah, and on that topic, I'm, I'm probably the only person in the audience that even cares about this. You know, Burnham decks him twice. And there are zero consequences. Which I guess is fine, but the reason that bothers me is knowing Pike the way we do, I mean... Especially with the whole subplot of Tyler when they thought Tyler was truly, like, betraying them. They locked him in his quarters. Even though with, like, zero evidence, they still locked Tyler away and they put that bracelet on him so they could track his movements. Like, well, you did evil things in the past, so you're evil now. And I, I don't know if what rank Leland is, but I do know in Battlestar well, he's Galactica... A he's a he's captain. A captain. Yeah. So she punched a captain in the face twice, right? <laughs> and could you imagine, like... No, seriously, imagine if... Uh, if freaking Stamets punched Lorca in the face twice, and you think Lorca would have been like, "Ah, that's fine," he just had a he just well, had a bad day. I, I think in this particular case, I actually think that all of Leland's negative attributes aside, I do think he actually legitimately feels bad for the death of her parents. He never intended that. That wasn't what he wanted. It wasn't part of the plan, and it was his negligence that led to it. So I do believe that he truly felt bad about that. And I think he was just going to let let it go because she could have done she could have done a lot worse. She could have hit him more times, harder, um, but she didn't. She knocked him down. That was it. And I think he was just basically in a position where he was gonna just let that happen. Well, and, and I think he's, yeah, and I agree with you. But I think what I was hoping for is you remember in a Trouble with Tribbles when they have the big bar fight. Yeah. And Kirk is asking everybody who threw the first punch and everybody's like, ah, whatever. I was actually kind of hoping for something like that where mm -hmm. Pike and Cornwell are talking to both of them and they're like, what happened to your face? And he's, he could have been like, I slipped and she picked me up. It could have been that one, like you said, showing that imagery. Cause I get what you mean about him. Not, he feels bad about what happened, but now he doesn't know what to do. It could have been that 30 second scene where they're like, well, you know, the rumor is she punched you and he's like, nah, that's not what happened at all. I was moving something and I fell and she happened to come in and help me up. That gives you a little bit of that camaraderie with him to be like, ah, oh, okay, he's kind of a weirdo, but maybe he's not so bad. Yeah, I don't think they wanted to take it quite that far. I imagine there might have been a meeting with all four of them and Pike and Cornwell were just like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> 
he's kind of a he's kind of a dick. So yes, <laughs> uh, that's what I mean. That and that's what I said earlier is it's like every negative attribute you can put into a person, they just cram into this guy, and we're expected to believe. I don't know. Anyways, moving on because there's so much more that happens in this episode, and you know you're right about the whole. Uh, it's almost video again. I I think I said this a few weeks ago. You have to correct me if I'm wrong, but. It's almost like video game logic, where it turns out that Section 31 created the Red Angel, and now the Red Angel is trying to prevent a monster AI from destroying the universe at some point in the future. It's that time travel paradox where you're trusting the time traveler to tell you that something horrible is going to happen, even though you have no evidence it happens. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't know. They don't know. They have no idea. And that's the risk. And you've said this for... As long as I've known you as a friend, you've said that's the risk with time travel on uh, Star Trek is it, it unless you get really creative, like you may not notice the error, but your brain does. Like at the end of First Contact, when Jordy's like, oh, we've modulated the warp drive to match the chronometric signature. We'll go be able. And you're like, oh, OK. Then you're like, wait a second. What? It's that you're like it's that easy to go back in time. Yeah, it's it's definitely a problem. And Star Trek has had a problem with time travel for, you know, 50 years. <laughs> um, you know, uh, they you know, slingshot around the sun or, you know, like you were saying in First Contact is another great example. And sometimes there's there's great time travel uh, cause and effect where the where the Enterprise D is caught in a time loop. You know, that's that's an anomaly. It's not something they created. They can't recreate it. Right. And they're just kind of stuck in this loop. Uh, that is super clever sci fi writing for me. Um, City in this one forever. That's another. Sure, yeah. I mean, that's a brilliant time travel episode without skewing anything. I mean, it messes up Kirk. Let's be real. But yeah. overall, it's a great time travel episode. And, you know, all good things kind of plays around with it the other way by having an anomaly travel backwards in time and that kind of plays with the the mechanics of how time travel works and gives you some more freedom in this case you know it, it's a complicated question of and I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit here to to get the point across but so section 31 creates this, this technology to build a suit to travel through time because the klingons are trying to figure out how to time travel and because of that we know it's burnham and we're going to set a trap using burnham to catch burnham but the future Burnham doesn't know that it's going to be a trap, even though the past version of her is the one setting the trap. Um, and then, of course, we find out that it's not Burnham. It's it's her mother, whose, I guess, last name is probably also Burnham. But you get my point. Um, it is the future, so who knows. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But, yeah, because uh, IMDb doesn't actually credit her with any name. It's just the actor's name. There's no character name. So... The only thing we know to call her is is Michael's mom. Um, but, um, but anyway, um, so it, it's just very convoluted because you have someone trying to catch themselves from the future. And how do you trick yourself if they already know what's going to happen? You know, the, the normal answer would be somebody else has to come up with a plan and not tell you what it is. But she, it's her plan. Well, and for those of you that are listening, you're probably wondering, you're like, man... Derek and Greg skipped ahead to the end of the plot and are like, well, we actually didn't because there's, again, just like we've said in season two, there's not a lot that happens in the middle between the introduction of an episode and the plot point of an episode. It's it's stuff building up constantly. It's the interaction between Burnham and Leland. It's the interaction between Giorgio and company and such where they're just, they're talking and stuff happens. But it's literally, we go from funeral, Burnham punching Leland to them coming up with a plan to trap the red angel. And that's like the whole episode. And, you know, let's, um, you know, the episode, the, the, the crux of the issue is they believe they have to sacrifice Burnham so that future Burnham will come back and save past Burnham. And they basically, okay, I was going to say, they basically kill her in one of the most horrific ways imaginable, which is, whew, let's just by the way, let's expose her to the atmosphere of this acid planet and broadcast it to the ship. Let's make sure everybody has to watch this while it's <laughs> happening so that nobody has a PTSD issue from Arium just dying to watching her skin melting off from the percolate dust burning her skin and she's inhaling it. And I'm like the whole time I'm like, okay, you know, when I go to the dentist and they're going to do dental work, they give me a shot of Novocaine. It's like, couldn't, 
Colbert or something been like, look, here's a cocktail of stuff. You're not going to feel any pain, but you're still going to die. It's like, I'm sorry. I hate to I hate to be that guy, but we're Trek fans. This is what we talk about. This is what makes the Trek community so much fun is we talk about those finer details versus Derek, you're my long-term friend, buddy. But I'm going to send you to that planet and you're going to die a horrible death, but it's for the good. But you're going to feel every second of your death. You're going to be like, ah. I don't know, Greg. I have some questions. It's an intense scene. So I do want to say shout out to Sonequa Martin-Green for her performance in that in that collection of shots because it's incredibly convincing <laughs> that she is dying a very very painful death. Um, and there is a lot to your point. Like these are the these are the things that happen. And there's a lot of little moments, right? There's the scene between Spock and Burnham in the. Um, I guess the the sparring room, the 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 workout room that Burnham is in. And that's a great scene where the two of them interacting with each other. I actually love that. That's that that kind of social personal interaction is what I love about Star Trek most of the time. And seeing the two of them play off each other has been my favorite parts of the season for them, you know, overall. So I like that scene a lot. Then you have down on the planet when she's dying and Spock has to pull his phaser on Giorgio, who, you know, Emperor Giorgio has killed a couple of people. And Colbert, who is just now back from the dead and has to convince them to back off so Burnham can actually die. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an intense scene and it goes back. Uh, something I've been saying a few a few of our recordings this season is. I think Sonequa Martin-Green's best work is when they let her be a human or let her really act with her emotions versus when they try to trick her into being like a Vulcan and so logical. But when she's acting like the character we've seen her on other on other shows, the woman's got depth. I mean, she's got talent. She's got skill. She's got a voice. I mean, that scene was almost hard to watch. That was There was moments where it reminded me of, remember the end of Total Recall? Yeah. When... when uh, Arnold and what's her face are sucked into the atmosphere and their eyes are bulging out and their faces like burn. <laughs> like it was almost like that. Yeah, her eyes weren't bulging out, but you could see her skin starting to burn. You could see her eyes like turning red or dark. I mean, you could see they did a damn good job. And it's something you've been saying for two years now. They did a damn good job on emphasizing the technology of audiovisuals to make it look like the she's dying. I mean, she legitimately looked like she was dying on set. Yeah. And I mean, it was it was hard to not like I was going to turn off my screen, but it was hard enough to watch. Where I was like, I don't want to watch somebody go through this. This sucks. This is like Event Horizon almost. It's very intense, um, and you know that's that's the climax of the episode. Of course, we have a few other other you know personal interaction moments. Giorgio in the in the uh, the spore drive engineering room with Tilly Stamets and Culber. Some weird interactions there where. We find out that in the mirror universe, Giorgio had sexual relationships with Stamets and Culber. Um, and, you know, Stamets is pretty uncomfortable about all of that and makes a point to say that he uh, he's gay in any universe he can think of. <laughs> and so is Culber. Um, and, uh, you know, Giorgio is having a lot of fun with that, obviously. Uh, she used a, term, a phrase that I thought <laughs> actually made me chuckle, which was, defcon level fun <laughs> well okay there was that and the one before that where she said you know in my universe statements was pansexual which okay that's a 2018 2019 term that's really coming to fashion it makes me wonder like if in 22 whatever they're still saying i mean maybe they are maybe i'm completely wrong I, I don't care one way or the other it was just you know the way she dropped it in it felt like the whole jk rowling thing where they're trying to use modern day terminology <laughs> In a sci-fi a setting, when they could have just—I like—I actually preferred the interaction she was having with Stamets before that because it was making everybody uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But it's again, it's showing what we've talked about is she can command a room, even when she's outnumbered three to one, three people that don't like her. There was not a moment in that room where nobody thought Giorgio was in command. She was in command the entire time. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they, they seem to definitely be uh, a little afraid of her. And uh, to be fair, they know she's Emperor Giorgio, whereas Pike doesn't, right? Pike still thinks it's Captain Giorgio. So there's some interesting stuff at play there. Um, 
but like, yeah, not a ton of stuff happens. You know, Saru confronts Leland before uh, Burnham punches him in the face. And, you know, it's another great moment for Saru to show how strong he is and how much he cares about his friends and crew, what he's willing to risk. Um, you know, there's the moment where Nan is kind of trying to apologize to Burnham, but she really still did the right thing with Arium. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's really the bulk of the episode here. Yeah, the rest of it is trying to figure out how to build this device that's going to capture the red angel. And it's a bunch of techno babble sciencey stuff. We're gonna have a graviton beam and there's, you know, like a rubber band, you know, explaining it in, in normal terminology, <laughs> yeah. all that stuff. It's very Trek. It, it was a very Trekky feeling on the techno babble and we're going to do A to B to C to do this. You know, again, like, you know, I get it. It's, I'm the guy that complains about, we were not detected. The moon's magnetic field obscured our warp signature. And in this case, I was like, man, eh, they're going to trap an interdimensional time-traveling space red angel. I'm like, I actually I was like, at least they're putting equipment around and the red angel just happened to go right into the trap. I mean, again, though, it brings up the issue you've mentioned before where anytime you have a time-traveler from the future that's already known what's going to happen. It's, and I know it's that paradox of how do they still fall for that same trap, but it's a TV show. I don't know. They I mean, they have phasers and yeah. torpedoes, so whatever. I mean, it helps that it's not Burnham and it's her mother. Cause her mother wouldn't have known about the trap, um, which, which I think fixes it in retrospect, right? Once you find out who it really is, but it doesn't really fix everybody else's logic who was running under the assumption that it was Michael. So when you find out it's not, it's like, oh, well, okay, that's why it worked. But everyone, all the really smart people who came up with the plan didn't know that part. So uh, makes that a little silly. Um, I mean, I've defended Discovery quite a bit on the more advanced technology, right? Things are updated, whether it's the uniforms or the weapons or the, the, the touch screens, you know, what have you. Everything's, you know, been updated a little bit, but... You know, there's been a few things like the spore drive and now the red angel suit that don't really work for me. Like, I don't understand how you can explain that one away. Well, I mean, there's that and the technology stuff and the time travel and the suit. And I'm just going to say it. So it's Michael's mother is the red angel and... It's yet another death on the show that gets washed away and the character is not actually dead. And that was a big plot point for Michael Burnham was her parents dying when she was young that helped turn her into who she is. And she goes to Vulcan and I don't, and I know somebody's out there like, well, she believes she was dead. I'm like, well, she's not. Michael's mom is not dead. Michael dies and is resurrected. So in this season alone, <laughs> Culver comes back. Michael dies and comes back. Michael's mother comes back, dies and comes back, supposedly dies and comes back. So all I need is Arium to die, to come back. And like the last episode, like we downloaded her into a new robot. And then I'll be like, okay, you know what? At this point, anytime the actually, I'm just going to say it at this point, anytime a character in the show is in danger, I just don't buy it because there are no permanent consequences. And yeah. that's me being, that's me being a little harsh, but you know, it's like commander non, I thought was going to have some long-term issues with having, you know, one of her implants ripped off her face, but she's fine. But we get a better look at Commander Nan's uniform in this episode. I noticed it when they're walking down the hallway, and you can see the skirt extension on her costume. Yeah. For the Barzan. And you know what? I mean, I'm sorry, costume creators out there. You're missing a chance if you're not creating Commander Nan's uniform because it's super it, cool. It is really cool, and she's a cool character, and it's a Barzan. But yeah, I mean, it's the, will, the, the, the time travel and the Red Angel and the armor and all this stuff, and... I'm also going to say when she was captured, she really didn't seem surprised. There was no like, oh, it's like she just jumped. She got out of the armor after the EMP and she's like, hi. <laughs> I mean, yeah, nothing I, happens. So I, I do want to say like you do make a great point about the deaths on the show because this is something we have talked about a lot recently uh, on the show here, out on social media with our friends. It's it's something that Discovery is is doing quite a bit and they keep doing it back to back. Right, the Colbert Saru thing was back to back, and now we have the Arium Michael's mom thing back to back. And you know, we're only 10 episodes in, and we've had four episodes where a character has either died 
been inches from death and pulled away from it at the last possible second or, you know, tricking us into thinking they had died, which I'm talking about Saru, of course, or they've been dead, but they're not actually dead. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> you know? I mean, and I'll be honest with our audience and our fans out there, because a lot of you are communicating with us and I appreciate that, but maybe I'm a little jaded because I, this is, I'm continuing my Voyager rewatch and I'm almost done with season two. And there's stuff that happens in Voyager that, you know, I didn't remember watching it, you know, the first time, you know, when Paris is being a jerk for a few episodes and it's building up to him betraying the ship and all. And uh-huh. there's, you know, the doctor falls in love with a Vidian female and all the stuff that happens that is emotional heartstrings that has impacts on the characters. And, you know, the relationship between Chakotay and Tom Paris isn't right for like a season. It's all jacked up. And... I'm just a big believer on consequences for decisions. And, you know, the another good example is the Klingon Civil War on Next Generation when, you know, the Romulans decloak and they're like Tasha. And she's like, no, Tasha, you're always my mother. I'm Commander Sela. And you can see, like, the whole the whole reaction of the crew is like, this is jacked up. <laughs> and we just, I'm, I'm just waiting for that moment to happen where, you know, it's episode 13 and it turns out Michael's mom is actually evil. And she's manipulating the future yeah. for her own gain or something. I don't know. It's just. It's a complicated topic because, you know, yes, their handling of Colbert has been very interesting. And what his character is going through is completely unique and incredibly sci-fi and something you can't do outside of science fiction. Something that would be difficult to do outside of Star Trek. And I love that. I, I really appreciate it. I love that he went to Cornwell because she was a counselor earlier before she was an admiral to talk to her about it. And I love what that we're exploring something a character is going through that we've never done before. And if he had been the only example of someone who was killed and brought back, that would be one thing. But yeah, it's this collection. And now, you know, we have another one, another character. And so, yeah, to, to your point, like, okay, well, if Arium comes back in a couple of episodes or something like that, like, you know, but I mean, I don't think she will, but, um, it, it's just, I want them to use a different device. I want them to use something other than death to try and rouse emotion because there are other things, I you mean, know, there are other things yeah. that you can do. I mean, remember there was a TNG episode where, an alien life form wanted to learn about humanity and impregnated Troy, and they did a whole episode on that. The child, I think. The, yeah, the <laughs> child. I mean, hell, have an episode where Michael's pregnant with Tyler's kid or something, and everybody's like, uh, this is weird, because what is Tyler? I mean, you could do an emotional episode like that that shows she's human, and he is a half-human, half-Klingon life form. I don't know what the correct designation for him is. But you could do an episode like that where you can get to those emotional interactions without going, oh, she got sucked into space, but she's fine. And I just, there's so many creative outlets for Star Trek. It doesn't have to be, like you said, somebody dying just to be saved at the last, at the last second. Well, there's other things you can do. You know, looking at other Star Trek, people can get hurt, right? You've got uh, ethics in TNG where Worf is almost paralyzed. You know, and that's what they're struggling with is what does it mean to be a Klingon who is paralyzed? And, you know, should he go through his more traditional cultural uh, activities or should he push through because he's on a Federation ship and has a son? And, you know, there's other things that you can focus on rather than 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 killing a character or teasing that you're going to kill a character to to rouse our emotions. There's just there's other there's other techniques. And I just want to see something different. I mean, I've even said it before in DS9 when Rom lost a leg. Not Rom, right. uh, Nog. Nog. Nog lost Nog. a leg. Yeah. And every that, that whole episode dovetails into like a three-episode arc on, you know, PTSD and warfare. And, you know, there's another DS9 episode where, you know, uh, Quark is explaining to his nephew about, you know, humans when they're fighting on that planet with the Dominion. And he's like, you know, there's nothing more dangerous than a human at war. He's like, yeah. You see them on the station, and they're nice and friendly and cuddly, but you take away their warm beds and their creature comforts and their holodecks and their meals, and they will kill you as soon as any Klingon warrior. Mm-hmm. And it was a simple three-minute speech where you're like, you think about human history, and you're like, damn. You're like, all right, he's, he's kind of right. I don't like to admit it, but Quark is kind of right about human history, and 
You know, they didn't. It didn't have to turn into a five episode arc span. It could be something as simple as, I don't know. You know, Tilly's well, De- running around the ship and breaks her leg. I don't know. Well, think about Detmer for a second. K- uh, Kayla Detmer. She she has some cybernetic augmentations from the injuries from the the Battle of Binary Stars. And it wasn't until, like, now that we fi- find out that she kind of struggled with that a bit. And Arium helped her through it. Why? Why did we have to wait until two-thirds of the way through the second season to learn that when it happened? The injury happened in episode, like, two. Yeah. <laughs> and, why, and why is it it has to be something we are told and not shown? Let us learn about her. Why is it difficult for her? What did she go through? Tell us, you know, the type of of trauma that she went through. Because that's that's not death. She wasn't going to die, but she was going to change. She was going to be different. She was going to have to adapt. And the reality is that, yeah, as human beings, we all have to deal with death. That's that's part of being alive. But we also have to deal with adapting to injury to change to disease to to these types of things that aren't death but they do change our reality and i want to see more of that no exactly because even the detmer example i remember an episode last season where remember the dancing episode the party episode where they're interacting with everybody i mean detmer's in the background and she's making out with a dude on the couch so again yeah you just brought up a good example she talks about how there was a challenge for her to adapt but obviously I mean, she got through it, and that would be a fun story to see how she went from... I hate... Okay, not fun, like I want to see it, but it would have been an interesting story to see somebody go through a challenge and then get confident enough to go out there in public and be herself, and... Because she's still... Well, that's how we learn who a character is. Yeah, exactly. You know, the the struggles that they go through. Think about some of our favorite characters in Star Trek. We what we love about them is their is how they overcame adversity, how they handled intense, stressful, difficult situations. And Detmer clearly went through one. And TNG, one of the top five episodes of Star Trek of all time, did an episode on this very topic, Tapestry, mm-hmm. where it's the whole story about Picard getting over overcoming, getting stabbed in the heart. And, you know, Q gives him a chance to change his mind. And then he ends up a lowly, you know, 58-year-old astrophysics lieutenant instead of the captain of the flagship. Junior grade. Yeah, junior grade. It shows (laughs) him how it changed his life and how it radically altered things for him. And they could have done the same thing here. And that's, that's my, I don't know. And, I mean, the Red Angel, it's... Yeah, we can all now. If we're going back to the story, we can talk all about how the Red Angel, the artwork looks exactly like an Iconian, and now it's not. Now it's the suit was designed by Section Thirty One because of a temporal Cold War with the Klingons. Even though in Enterprise we had a temporal Cold War with you know the Suluban, I guess. The, yeah, the Suluban. So it's just okay. I am gonna say I don't buy the Discovery Klingons ever messing with time travel. I just. From what we've seen so far, I don't even know how they invented warp drive. But well, the, the Klingons in general though have never come off to me as as a group that would want to focus on time travel. Because what's the honor in that? What's the honor in going back to before anything came out of the primordial soup? Because you have to use that type of lingo, right? What, like, what's the what's honorable about that? That's not what Klingons want. Klingons want the battle. They want the war they want that triumph that victory kapla like that's what it is to be klingon so this mission kind of seems at odds with them anyway and so i don't even know if that's real it could have just been something section 31 used to justify why they were doing what they were doing i mean i think your comment was perfect and i have no feedback for it because (laughs) because no you're right this is not something that we've ever thought about with Klingons being like the like if they would have said this is some sort of Romulan invention I'm like nah that kind of makes sense the Romulans want to cheat trick or steal everything they can around them and I have no doubt that in the 2260s 2250s 60s if the Romulans could have time travel they would especially because I'm just finishing a book again about the it's called the first 150 years of the Federation I just I just finished a part where we win the battle of Sharon and basically attack Romulus and win the war and I have no doubt that if the Romulans could go back in time and change that, they absolutely would. There's, they, oh, wouldn't, yeah. they wouldn't wait. There would be, there would be a half second for them to say, yes, do it. <laughs> and that's all it would take.
Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I'm completely with you. So maybe it's just a section 31 lie. I don't know. The, the season's starting to kind of go off a bit for me between control last week, the section 31 headquarters and the mines, and now the red angel being a section 31 project. It's just the technology is starting to go off the rails for me because I think there is a line. I think that people complaining that the set doesn't look like it's made out of cardboard, like the sixties aren't being realistic, but there is a point where you start to ask the question of like, when does this technological advancement stop and meet up with the other shows from just a a basic standpoint? You know, why don't we use the time travel technology? Why don't we use the, you know, the cloak, the, the special cloaking technology, you know, and, this, you know, this control, this, this computer that somehow helps make decisions for all of Starfleet, you know, these things are just kind of weird. Um, and I'm not saying that it breaks canon or anything like that, because I think it's premature to say that, but it is feeling like it's starting to, to go off the rails. Yeah, I'm with you. It's just, when you start using technology as a story trope or as a story arc, it really boxes you into a corner on what your options are. And how you explain away stuff that's happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even they can explain away the spore drive, but their way of explaining it away is just stop talking about it. It's there's <laughs> there's been no resolution. They still hint at it every so often, but it's not like they just stop talking about it. They just eh, we just won't we won't mention it. Well, they keep and, giving themselves outs for the spore drive. They've given yeah. themselves multiple opportunities to say Starfleet has outlawed spore drive technology because of the events in this episode. Like they've had that opportunity multiple times. And I personally think they're not taking it so they can use the spore drive when it's convenient. Because to your point, they're using this these advanced technologies now as storytelling techniques, which is different. If you want to show cool computers that have been updated because it's now 2019 and you want nicer uniforms and nicer ship models and things like that, those don't change the story. They just make it look cooler. But now you're giving us technologies that are legitimately changing the stories, the characters, and the historical events. And that starts to breach that line into when is it when is canon important? Well, canon's important when things stop making sense. <laughs> that's a that's a very good point, and especially when when you're talking about you know Section Thirty One creating a time traveling suit and technology that doesn't really fit with the background of Star Trek or next or the Federation that we know of at least over the past you know fifty years, which is only a little bit of con- canon and content, you know. But I was actually reading, because, you know, before we do any recording, I like to read other people's opinions. I watch other people's views. I listen to their podcasts just because it's not my only opinion. And I remember somebody uh, somebody was actually, there's a show I've referenced before called Babylon 5 that did a story arc about, you know, a time-traveling being called The One. And everybody's like, oh, who is it? And I don't want to spoil any details because if you haven't watched Babylon 5, go watch it. It's amazing. It's on Amazon Prime. And everybody's like, oh, well, how, what's going on? And who is this character? And blah, blah, blah. But then they explain it because, like, the species that helped create the time travel has literally been traveling space for, like, four billion years. So they control, like, time. It's like, so it's like when they do that, you're like, oh, that kind of makes sense then. Because they are the, the species of, you know what I mean? They're literally called the first ones. Because mm-hmm. they were, like some of the first species to have evolution. So you don't spend a lot of time thinking about the time travel, right? You just kind of wave it away. Right. Versus somebody going, man, six years after Red Shirts and Runabouts premiered, Derek and Greg created a time-traveling spacesuit. People are going to be like, wait, what? That's And that's kind of <laughs> what they did with Section 31 is, oh, there's a temporal cold war with the Klingons, so Section 31 created a time-travel suit. And it disappeared, and the creators were Michael's parents, but they both died. But they didn't. But they did. Well, where are all the temporal agents that we saw in Voyager and Enterprise? Those don't exist right now, Derek. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but but that's that's why I specifically said Voyager and Enterprise, because those bookend Discovery. So where where is Daniels? You know, where where are these other temporal agents in the temporal prime directive when You've got a rogue person traveling through time, modifying events in the galaxy. I mean, 
they're pretty big and they're consistently like they're happening multiple times. This is a big deal. They haven't shown up once. Maybe they will. I don't know. But I feel like this is a good opportunity to, to tie that back in. You want to convince people this is part of the same universe. Here's a good, ex- good way of doing that. But I'm just worried that the technology, these weird technological advances are just becoming too much of the story rather than the sci-fi things around the story. Well, and yeah, you bring up a good point because there was a throwaway line in this episode about how the Red Angel appears when Michael's in danger. Mm-hmm. And they reference the other occasions, even on Kaminar, when the Red Angel stops Dabaul from wiping out the Kelpians. Mm-hmm. Michael wasn't in danger. Unless I'm unless I've completely blacked out. Well, or... no, no, no. So okay, so that that can be confusing. What what Spock meant was the only times that they could predict were when Michael was in danger. Okay. I see. That was just, I just misinterpreted the episode then. Cause I was like, I kept trying to think, I was like, maybe they're going to do something where Saru saves her in the future. And if Saru would have died on that planet, he wouldn't have been able to save her. And thus. No, no, no. They okay. just meant that when, when, when the red angel had shown up um for the the red burst that there there was no pattern to that they had no way of tracking her but when burnham was in trouble the red angel consistently showed up like when spock was a child for example or when burnham was stuck uh on the planet uh you know when they went for the hiawatha um you know things like that so that that's what that meant um that might have just been a little convoluted of a way of explaining it but that yeah they got it right. It was just a little confusing. Although I did like Spock's line of, you know, Michael thinks she's the only one to save the universe. How typical. <laughs> Kinda, I, I, I like that. That's that's sibling rivalry. I get, I get it. There were some good lines in there. I like that. They kind of all chuckled to each other a bit. It felt very natural. So that, that was good. I read um, uh, another commenter's review of the episode where they're saying that Michael, or Michael, uh, Spock is basically the Deadpool of Star Trek because... He's kind of breaking fourth wall sometimes by being by explaining ex- exposition and saying <laughs> things that the audience is saying, and I'm like, kind of, yes, uh, but it was. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> it's good. It's good interaction because you know. And again, it's. I don't know. What, by the way, before we wrap up, what were the uh, Twitter results for this episode? Sure. So first off, if you voted in this or retweeted it or anything, I want to say thank you because. Uh, the other day, I guess yesterday, maybe. Yeah. Yesterday I, uh, or actually, wow. This morning that we're recording this, I had retweeted it, letting people know that we really didn't have that many votes. And so to help us out and we actually ended up having more than our average votes by the end of the poll. So thank you to everybody who did that. I really appreciate it because it doesn't make sense to talk about poll results if nobody's voting, but, um, this one was, a little more divisive, um, not the most. 64% gave it an A, 19% gave it a B, uh, 9% gave it a C, and then an 8% gave it a D or lower. So, you know, a little bit split up. Um, you know, you're talking uh, 7, 81%, 83% gave it a, a B or higher. Yeah. Not you the know, highest, which... but not the lowest. Right, you know... Um, like we've we've done a bunch of these. We've done one for for each episode at this point, and you know, I, it might be the it might be the lowest. I'm looking through the results right now to kind of see where we are, but I'm actually thinking it it might be the lowest overall if we were to do the math. Yeah, I mean my my rating was right around a C. Yeah, I mean it's just like you said. There was just things that. It felt like an episode that had to happen just so they could advance the plot versus interesting stuff truly happening. Mm-hmm. And for a second, for actually like a, a half second, when they were revealing the Red Angel, I thought the silhouette was a Wokasun. And oh, yeah. it was before I saw any facial features or skin color. It was the silhouette of the of the skeletal structure in the hair. I was like, Lieutenant Awokasun. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me i'm like eh, that'd be kind of neat then it's like oh it's michael's mom i'm like ah oh. okay because <laughs> section 31 mentioned she was part of the project so it's michael's mom okay makes sense i don't know it would have been fun if it would have been like a woke soon like what the hell 
you guys know you remember the you remember the um the parallels episode which i still think is one of the worst episodes in next generation ever i like parallels oh parallels <laughs> drives me crazy but anyways remember the one enterprise one Riker's got the crazy three-foot-long beard. He's like, the Federation's gone. The Borg are everywhere. I, mean, I think there would have been something charming if it would have been like a Wokasoon who's like, I'm here to stop Michael Burnham because she kills the Federation in five years. I would have been like, oh. Like, I I wouldn't have seen that coming. I'm like, that would have been kind of fun. Um, One of um, these days, we're going to do a review <laughs> of Parallels, and we're going to talk about why it's a good episode. I will. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good episode. It's a terrible episode. <laughs> the best part of that episode uh, is Will Wheaton coming back. Oh, little Will. Little yeah. Will. I like Look, when Will shows up. He looked good in the gold uniform. I'm thinking, man, dude, you should have stayed. Yeah, I get it, though. I get it. Typecasting is a complicated thing, and you kind of have to buy all into it. Jonathan Frakes, I think we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, was talking about how you know, he was kind of pigeonholed into, you know, sci-fi and Star Trek stuff and has kind of just decided to steer into it, you know, but I can understand that being frustrating. You want to, you know, be an actor, you want to be an artist, you want to perform and you want to be able to be varied in what you do. And it's hard when you're attached to a massive franchise. I mean, you know, Mark Hamill can do all the voice work he wants, but he's still Luke Skywalker, you know? But you know what? I, I'm... I have no sympathy and I, I sound like an <laughs> asshole, but hear me out. Hear me out. I'm an engineer. I'm going to be an engineer for like the next 40 years. I don't, I can't like, I could apply for other jobs. I could seek other performance, like other employment, but you know, you and I picked careers and that's what we're doing. And so I don't play, you know, but Jonathan Frakes is so beloved by the Trek community and beloved yeah. by the sci-fi community. And so is Will Wheaton. He's done so much for tabletop gaming and Star Trek and, podcast and recording and the discussions he's had on things like depression and such so will wheaton i'm not saying i don't have sympathy for you i'm just saying you mean a lot to the community for some reason you're listening to this that's amazing you <laughs> thank done a lot you the, yeah thank you you've done a lot for the community be proud of that i mean you know it's but again what so i gave it a c what would you give this episode <sighs> yeah I, I think i have to give it a c as well uh, for all the reasons we've discussed it you know it, like I said it feels like an episode that had to happen to like I said it feels like a video game stuff is happening you're fighting the bosses you have to fight you're fighting the monsters you have to fight to go from mm-hmm. level four to level five that's kind of what this episode felt like I mean I yeah. think they, I think they could have done a lot more with the Red Angel and maybe even it's a Tellarite in there or something I don't know just <laughs> <laughs> somebody completely random I don't know it could have been they could have had a lot of fun with it and I just. I worry that they're playing it. They're playing it like safe. Maybe, maybe not. We got four episodes to go, right? And maybe, maybe it'll turn out that Michael's mother is evil, which I think would be a fun plot twist. And then Michael Burnham is faced with, uh, so my mom's evil and going to do evil stuff. And now I have to make a decision: do I stop her, or am I happy to have my mom back? And I want to be with my mom. Oof, that's rough. It'd be fun that though. That is rough. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, I think this is probably a good stopping point. Um, little reminder to find us this weekend at Planet Comic Con. Uh, we will probably be putting out a bonus episode next week because we'll want to record our discussion on next week's disco episode, which is called Perpetual Infinity. Um, and uh, we'll also want to uh, talk about well, what we will we'll, we will release our panel if the audio recording is solid and uh, good enough for you to listen to. We will release that as well at some point next week. Um, also, if you are keeping up with us on Patreon, this show is uh, has been added to one of our tiers as a first listen show where we will be releasing it to Patreon patrons a full day earlier than everywhere else on the interwebs. So if that interests you, check out patreon.com slash heroes podcasts because we are part of the Heroes Podcast Network. Greg... Close us out, man. Yeah, I mean, we look forward to seeing everybody at Planet Comic Con. You know, Derek and I are multi-fans of many different dimensions of sci-fi. I'll be supporting the 501st Legion and Rebel Legion, but on Saturday I'll be pretty much doing my Star Trek costume. i got to decide which one. I, I'm, I'm thinking the Monster Maroon you're going to see me in. It's yeah. just, it's it's so good. It's um, so nice. <laughs> and last year's podcast actually went, went really well. Or excuse me, event at Planet Comic Con went really well. We had a pretty good turnout, so we're hoping for more yeah. this year. 
but if you want to track me down on uh, online, we've been having a lot more discussions on our, with our fans on Twitter. You can find me at the underscore bittersteel. You can tell me why my theories need correcting. I'm good with that. I like interacting with the fans. I'm the, I'm the guy that makes fun of the random Game of Thrones theories. So we're Ned Stark's still alive, Mike. Really? No, he's not. No, he's not. So, uh, but how, Derek, my friend, how can they find you? We talked about the show, but how can people find you? Well, you can find me at the Star Trek Dude on Twitter, and I will be at Siren Ray's booth this weekend. I'll be cosplaying. If everything goes according to plan, I will have two brand new cosplays to show off. Um, none, I'm actually none of it's Star Trek this weekend because uh, I've got some other things planned. So we'll we'll see. I've, I'll be wearing a very non Star Trek costume to the panel if it all works out. <laughs> how, how dare you have a fandom other than Star Trek, Derek? <laughs> <laughs> I hope that they do two new ones. I hope to hope that the two new ones done. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. One Star Wars, we'll one see. is not Star Wars. So, it, Ooh. Is, uh, it is from the Fallout universe of video games. Really? Oh, we'll yeah. have to talk about that offline then. That's right, my friend. Yeah, everybody, <laughs> you can track us down on uh, Red Shirts and Runabouts on Google, on Apple iTunes, on Overcast, any of the podcast apps. You can even go online and just any of your search engines and literally search Red Shirts and Runabouts or Heroes Podcast Network. We're getting enough hits to be popping up on your social on, on your uh, on your search engines and even on your social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. But otherwise, we will be talking to you next week for another episode of Discovery or any potential news that comes out between now and then. Or we will see you at Planet Comic Con. Until then, Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and is hosted by Gregory Bosco and me, Derek Mayer. The music is by Flying Killer Robots. Please follow us at RedShirtsPod on Twitter or at Heroes Podcasts on Facebook, Instagram, or HeroesPodcast.com. You can subscribe to our show on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and pretty much any other podcast app. If you enjoy the show, please support us. We have a Patreon at Patreon.com slash HeroesPodcasts, and we also have a coffee ko-fi.com slash heroes podcast we'll catch you next time live long and prosper